Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Oh man, spring feels like it's here. It's fantastic outside. A lot of things starting to happen. We're, we're actually seeing a couple of field operations going on. Now we're going to talk about strip tillage today. Don't see anybody strip tilling just yet, uh, but you may consider it this spring if you got a little touch-up work to do or if you're going to be doing some strip tillage for the very first time. So we'll talk about some of the things to watch out for with strip tillage and some of the opportunities that are out there as well as taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us to radio at agphd.com. Well, let's keep in mind that we have people listening from all over the continent and around the world. So in your area, it could be a lot different than our area. In our area, the frost is just starting to come out of the ground. Snow, we've barely had any for three months So we started spraying ourselves this morning, getting pre-emerge herbicides out there. So it's a great time to do that early. Well, nothing is growing, so we have more time to get rain or snow. Either way, that'll activate the herbicide, and then we'll have better weed control. And we spread the workload out a little bit because we won't plant on our farm for just over a month yet. But certainly there are farmers in the, let's call it southern United States, or maybe on the west coast, that... They could go out and strip till today and plant tomorrow if they wanted to. So we are going to talk about strip till a little bit today. And let me start you with this story. So back over 25 years ago, we started doing some no-till on our farm because we were trying to save the soil and leave a certain amount of residue on the soil surface. And the things that were great about the no-till in our experience, because we have some rolling hills and some highly erodible land, we absolutely reduced erosion. We liked that. Yeah, I mean, it was night and day difference. We started building soil organic matter. Great things. Our problem with no-till in our area, and I'm not saying this is for everybody, but for our area and the way we were farming, which wasn't necessarily right, we had a lot of nutrient stratification. Almost all our nutrients ended up in the top couple inches after 10 years of no-tilling. And our soil is just really cold. It's just really cold. So... We wanted warmer soil. We wanted to place our fertilizer deeper. That's why we started doing strip till, and it's worked out really great for us. So we do roughly half the farm every year as strip till, some years more, some years less. And we like it because we're still able to build soil organic matter, not as fast as in no-till, and not reduce erosion as much as in no-till. But it's kind of the best of both worlds for us where we're getting some of the benefits of no-till, some of the benefits of strip or of conventional till, like a warmer soil, and getting the fertilizer down deeper. And I like with strip till just the fact that we are placing that fertilizer in the row. So because of that, we have much, a much better chance at quick uptake. When you go broadcast fertilizer, it could be 20 years before you get that fertilizer. And I know you might say, oh, no, it's I'm going to get it faster than that. No, that's not what we found in our experience. It took us 11 years before we felt like we were able to start gaining more of what was just out there in the soil that we had literally over-applied on purpose. So it takes a long time when you're in heavy soil, you don't have a lot of moisture, and we got to face the facts, the roots cannot explore 100% of soil when you are in row crops like corn and soybeans. You're in 30 inch rows. You're, well, even if you're not, your, your plants simply are not going to have roots covering every inch of soil out there going all the way down to, let's call it 12 inches deep or more. 
So anyway, we like strip till a lot. We do it on our farm every year. Advantages. There are advantages. There are disadvantages. There are things you want to do and not do. So we're going to talk about that throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the Mailbag! All right, Brian, I'll mix it up with you a little bit here on some alfalfa questions. This one comes from IG, who says, uh, I'm going to plant alfalfa hay on just a few acres this year. Wondering, do you recommend changing that crop out every three years or waiting until production starts to fall off? I'm in such a small place. Uh, what, what would you recommend I plant back if I needed to change? Well, usually we're going to say just keep that stand out there until production starts to fall off. It might be three years, might be four years, might be five years, whatever. In terms of what you do plant back eventually, that all depends on what you can make money on in your area and what you actually need. So if you needed feed, for example, a lot of people go to corn, and the nice thing with corn is now you've got a grass crop as opposed to alfalfa, which is a broadleaf crop. So it kind of breaks up that cycle just a little bit instead of just raising another broadleaf crop. So anyway, a lot of times people will follow alfalfa with a grass crop like corn or wheat. Okay, other question was, how many days should I leave my alfalfa after cutting uh, or between cuttings? How many days between cuttings should we run? (laughs) All depends on what you're after. Are you after feed quality or are you after total tonnage? And so if you want the best feed quality, it might only be 20 days. I, I don't know, based on whatever your heat is, your geography, that kind of thing. But if you want maximum tonnage, it might be 30 days. So... That's something you can certainly talk to agronomists in your area about because they're going to know your area a lot better than I am. All right, Brian, supply question. This comes from Doug in Michigan. He said uh, you talk about glyphosate and especially glufosinate becoming more available later on this summer. But he yep. says, isn't summer a little late? Spring's when it we is. need it. Yep. And, and it doesn't happen uh, that we're going to get it shipped overnight either. So will yep. it arrive in time? Well, honestly, I feel pretty good about glyphosate. I think most everybody's going to be able to get glyphosate. I mean, granted, you're not going to like the price, but it's not horrific. It's no more than it was back in 2008, the last time we saw an enormous run-up in in the Roundup price or glyphosate price. Glyphosate, on the other hand, that one's tough, in part because BSF has liberty And BSF is just short on everything this year. So I am hoping that going into next year, they'll recover and be able to supply what people want for their products. But this year they're in trouble. And and UPL, they aren't meeting that need and filling that gap either on the glufosinate. So glufosinate's tough. Nope, I don't think there's going to be enough to go around on glufosinate. And the price is horrific. Oh, such good news, Brian. Well, let's switch to something a little more fun to talk about. We'll discuss strip tillage on today's show. Stay tuned. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH. Built by farmers. This is a wake-up call. 
for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about strip tillage and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Yeah, there's a lot of questions this year for sure, even compared to uh, previous years with supply issues, as Brian was just talking about. And you know what? All these inputs cost more money, so we want to be more efficient with them. And it's part of the reason that we're talking about strip tillage today, because one of the things we love about that practice is banding nutrition close to our root system so we can be more efficient pulling that back out of the soil. But there are a lot of a lot of pros and cons of strip till. Anytime you're making changes, it's not 100%. Oh, yeah, you win in every way possible. Otherwise, everybody would switch to that. So I thought we'd bring our friend C.J. Parker on with Case IH to talk just a little bit about the strip tillage concept and and what's going on right now. How's it going, CJ? Oh, pretty pretty good, guys. You know, it's um, sitting here the first um, of March and the sun's shining, and here in I'm about an hour north of Lansing today. And you know, I had a talked talked to planters about planters to some customers, and um, guys are guys are starting to get excited about spring. Oh my goodness, the spring fever is <laughs> it's definitely going around right now. I'm I'm in the same boat. Do you remember CJ growing up about trying to sit in a classroom and and you got the window open in the school building and you're just feeling that nice spring air? You just want to get out in the field and do something. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was always it was always tough to sit in class growing up when the weather started to turn. No doubt about it. Well, it's hard sitting in the shop, too. If you've been working on equipment, working on it, at some point you want to get it out there. Now, I don't know if strip tillage is maybe the first thing that you'd get done in the spring, but if a guy was going to do some spring strip till, especially in these areas where it's fairly dry out there, so soil conditions are really pretty good, uh, what would be some of the considerations you'd have going into this spring getting started with spring strip till? Well, I think you just kind of kind of hit the nail on the on the head a little bit there. You know, if you're um, if you're dry enough, and, and you got to know how your how your fields lay and how your soils are, if they can handle um, some type of um, some type of, of strip tillage um, going into the spring. 
I probably would, um, you know, hold off from, from going too deep to uh, to make sure you're not bringing up any any big clods. Um, making sure you got a good um, a good seed bed with that with that strip, um, so you can go in there go in there and plant. But um, I think uh, you know you mentioned the price of price of fertilizer going up, and um, you know strip till definitely has a lot of advantages putting that fertilizer right there, so it's uh, it's available for that plant as it as it start starts growing and it. Those roots don't have to go around and out and search for it to bring it in. It's already it's already right there. Yeah, no doubt about that. We uh, we've done a lot of strip till over quite a few years, and we've done a lot of trial work just to prove that out. And yeah, it's uh, it, it is certainly more efficient putting fertilizer in that band. Now, here's the thing, CJ. We've done it a couple different ways. So when we first started, we thought, okay, we got some high pH soils, and we're going to try and band things really close. So we put it in one band, and we put it out with a shank and that was good our root systems went down they found the found the fertilizer but when we started using coulters and spreading it out throughout that um, stripped uh, or shot that strip we saw our root system really expand out and I, I would say it's the best root system I've ever seen w- what have you noticed and obviously you get to see a lot of stuff with two by two placement and in furrow and deep banding and, and then banding throughout the zone what's your favorite and what are some of the pros and cons we should think about there um well I think uh, when you're when you're looking at strip till um you know and, and I've kind of seen a, a lot of the same thing that you talk about about um, you know the roots really starting to expand as it as it as it goes out. But um, you know when we look at look at strip till. I think a lot of customers when we when we talk talk about it, especially where I live in, in Northwest Ohio and, and some of the Lake Erie watershed issues. You know there's some um, um, there's you know from from the government to be able to go to go in and, um, and do strip till. There's some um, there, there's some money on the table there for for some of these some of these producers. But um, it really becomes a time a time management thing when I'm when I'm talking with customers, especially if they're potentially trying to do soils more or do that strip till more more in the fall. Um, I mean, I, I don't know about, about you guys, but I know in the, the area I covered, we just had a horrible fall and, and ran out of time. I mean, there, I saw some guys harvesting soybeans in January and then trying to get get strip till done on top of that. It makes it um, a little bit more a little bit more hectic. Yeah, we, we had a good fall here, CJ, if you could call it that. It just never rains. It, we haven't had much rain for like a year and a half. So we were out there late, late, late into the fall because it was just bone dry so we could do about whatever we wanted. Uh, okay, so there are a lot of different tools out there. Obviously, uh, Case IH is in this market of strip tillage. What's different about Case IH's machine? I remember going to Commodity Classic the last time and seeing a pretty cool display. And who knows, maybe here in the next uh, week or week and a half, uh, I might see something cool down at, at Commodity Classic again. What are you guys working on? Um, so we, we're still running our, uh, our 955 uh, NutriPlacer um for our for our strip till unit at case ih um with our with our residue managers to uh, to move that residue um out of the way and um and, and running that shank you know on that that six um seven inch to really get it down in that um in, into that root zone but um probably one of the, some of the biggest questions i get on um on our on our strip till unit is our, our different attachments we offer for the for the back of that real unit, um, whether it's a um, a concave, um, I shouldn't really say concave, but a, a, a crumbler system that um, 
it kind of has an indent into it to leave more of a more of a mound, um, and that's probably for guys that want to go and then do fall strip till. So they ridge that strip up a little bit um, in the fall, and then as as it weathers down, it becomes uh, becomes flat and, um, and and weathers down pretty good. Now for for somebody that wants to do uh, to do a spring strip till, I probably wouldn't recommend that type of attachment on the back because you you don't really want to to have stuff sitting on on top of a ridge because you're probably going to go in and plant uh, not too long after and it's not going to have time to settle down so we make more of a flat bar type uh, type attachment on the back of that row unit sure sure yeah that berm and exactly how high that should be is really kind of one of the art forms here with with doing strip till just right i know some guys will say man i i just hit it perfect last year and this year i didn't didn't quite get it right and you know part of that has got to be the soil structure that you're working with and then also the moisture conditions we've really seen a big difference did you have any tips coming out of well we've had a couple of dry seasons here but i know there have been some other areas that were really pretty wet out there so that that really changes what you're doing what do you recommend if, if you get into too dry or too wet um if, if you get into get into too wet especially if you have any uh any clay based type heavy heavy soils you know just just as if you're going out there with a with a field cultivator you know that uh, that clod sizing is is important so if you're going out there when it would it might be a little bit on the wet side you know that that strip is basically your uh your your seed bed preparation pass so you got to make sure that um that everything looks looks good from uh from a, the surface side of things and if you're in, in real dry conditions of course you you know them then depending on your soil type but typically it's uh it's not gonna probably clot up as much on top so you can probably be a little bit more forgiving um and maybe not have to worry quite as much as on that berm if you're if you're drier for for stuff to mellow out yeah, there's there's a lot of things out there you got to be aware of, and and for guys just getting into strip till, and this is your first go around, I can't encourage you more. Talk to other guys in your area that are doing this. Talk to your equipment providers about exactly how to set things up for your success. Uh, it'll make such a huge difference for you. CJ, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Uh, enjoy your time up in Michigan, and and hope to talk to you again soon. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Have a good day. Yeah, you as well. Uh, I had some fun last week with the Neil Kinsey seminar here. We got a a little bit of feedback. This one came in from Landon. Uh, He said, just wanted to thank you guys for hosting Neil Kinsey this past week and and for the hospitality. Had a great time. Learned a lot of things that we should be addressing on our soils and our farm. And also working with some of the agronomists you guys work with was really helpful. Can't wait to come back. Thanks for what you do. Hey, thanks, Landon. We really appreciate that. Yeah, we we, uh, have gotten a lot of feedback following having Neil Kinsey up here. And a lot of it has been... Oh my goodness, I didn't realize uh, some of these things that I didn't know and I, I got to address in my soils. And certainly that could be something going into the spring. There's still time to get some of these nutrients out in place as well. If you have any questions on that or any other agronomic tap topic, you can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. 
Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail, in addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass. Ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Talking strip tillage on today's Ag PhD radio show and taking your calls and agronomic questions here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, we're talking strip till. You knew we'd be talking about the Soil Warrior machine as well. we got Dave Sender with us right now with ETS and Soil Warrior. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. We were able to get a lot of our work done last fall. So spring is going to be fairly easy for us compared to some guys who got tons and tons of rain last fall. And I know there were parts uh, just across the border in Minnesota where guys are like, what are you talking about being dry? We got hammered here with tons of rain. Uh, What are you seeing out there? What are you hearing from guys? Is there going to be a lot of spring strip till this year? Uh, The further east you go, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, spring strips for sure. Um, 
to state the obvious, yeah, the further west the team we, we went, uh, the drier it got. So, um, you know, talking with some customers early on here, um, obviously a lot of guys right now are, are in the planning stages and organizing stages. Um, so I've fielded a lot of calls here lately regarding, um, you know, what, hey, what do I need to do to get ready for spring? Um, and and might, some guys are even looking at maybe doing a little spring freshening, uh, possibly even putting down a little bit of nitrogen uh, with that freshening pass. Um, so, I mean, really, it's it's all across the board. Like you say, it's it's really, uh, you know, regional depending on, on how last fall went. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Okay, so let's say that last fall – uh, you brought up some hard clumps. Not that this happened on our farm at all, Dave, but say that you brought up some, <laughs> some hard lumps out there and you were going to go out and freshen up those strips this spring and, and maybe try and break some of that up. Uh, what would you do? What would you recommend? Are there some adjustments we should be making? Sure. Uh, you know, there's, it, it's always, uh, guys always chuckle when I, when I get that type of question and I always answer it with, it depends. Um, <laughs> don't take it, the easy way out Dave <laughs> yeah it, it, <laughs> the biggest advice I always give guys is, it, you know when it comes to that so first of all with spring freshening strips typically you're not going to want to get really aggressive as far as depth goes so you know generally like you say you're just going to freshen them maybe you're looking at breaking up some clumps if you had some some bigger clumps uh, for one one reason or another um, generally you know maybe you're looking anywhere from that two to four inch range uh, but but the biggest piece of advice I will typically give guys is is look at the weather forecast and and see see what kind of weather is coming up uh, over the next uh, you know handful of days. Uh, primarily, you know, if it's looking like it's going to be you know wet and cloudy, um, uh, you, you guy could tend to be a little bit more more aggressive with that tillage. But if it's going to be sunny, warm, and windy, uh, you don't want to get too aggressive, or you're going to want to come back and, and plant in those strips. Um, even even sometimes the same day after you make those strips because you want to take advantage of some of the moisture that's that's in that strip. So you you really have to be aware of of uh, you know what Mother Nature is going to going to be bringing to us uh, in the near future when we get to that time of year. That was a great tip that you just gave there, Dave, because we saw a lot of guys have success with that last year when it was really dry. If they went out and did some some tillage of any sort planting right after that so they could plant into some moisture was good because those fields dried out really fast with that hot dry weather that we had last spring at that time they okay sure when Absolutely. when we're thinking about the soil warrior machine are there some changes this year or are there some upgrades or updates that that growers should be considering adding to their machines oh catch me on the spot here <laughs> Well, there, um, I know there's always things. I, I was just thinking, um, you know, about about how that machine has been around for a long time and it's built heavy. And you get a lot of questions from or comments from farmers yeah. that say, man, the thing I like about the soilware machine is it's not going to be broke down all the time. That thing is built to run. And I, I look at some of the stainless steel upgrades that you made and some of those things in recent models. And uh, it, it looks like the machine just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we want to try to continue to 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 stay innovative and 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 try to try to stay in front of the the pack, so to speak. But um, you know, I guess one of the the first things that come to mind that would actually really tie in with the the spring tillage side of things and in that kind of that zone freshening um, approach is uh, a newer roll cleaner system that we we released here uh, last last year and, and it, it's a, it's on a pneumatic cylinder so you have the ability to either raise it up at, at the touch of a button or you can even adjust it so it's more of a 
I guess if you want to call it more of a precision type of um, roll cleaner where you can in more or less adjust that height. So if you're if you if you're going back and you're freshening some strips from fall and you've got a, say a little bit of residue that's blown over those strips throughout the winter and you want to just kind of brush those off lightly without without getting too aggressive and, and for lack of better terms trenching out those strips uh, you can kind of set that height so to speak on that roll cleaner um, and, and just kind of dust off that that residue of those strips so I'd say that's probably one of the biggest things um, we have a, an edge roll unit here that we just released last year um, that's very comparable to our our um, X roll unit with regards to running a culture only system but that that roll unit also has the ability to pretty easily switch over to a, a shank style as well. Um, you know, for example, it comes to mind is again, last fall, it got dry and hard in, in some areas um, where that might have been advantageous. Um, so those are probably the two biggest things. But as you mentioned, stainless steel, uh, we've, we've taken a lot of our, um, in the past, what we say our traditional uh, mild steel uh, diffusers and fertilizer tubes, for example, and, and we have a, a stainless steel option for that. Um, the standard would still be mild steel, but we have the ability to go to stainless. Um, even a, a, a split meter body, so you can control and, and have fertilizer shut off for, for half half the toolbar width, for example. Um, you know, that's a big thing with the strip-till side of things. With how the last you know, 12, 18 or so months have gone, guys are looking at ways of, of um, you know, hey, how can I save some money and not sacrifice yield? So, you know, just another tool in the toolbox for guys to be able to really even manage your fertilizer and some of their input costs even even more. You know, I've talked to a few farmers that said, man, I just couldn't, like you had talked about earlier, just couldn't get in due to, to fall conditions. And I've got corn stalks and I need to get in there with my strip-till machine. Uh, I had a good tip. I had a farmer on the show um just in the last few days that that said, man, it worked really good for him to wait until about noon. So the sun was out and he got a little breeze going. He said, once I dried those stalks out during the day, they worked so much better. But he said, I had to quit when it got to supper time or they started to get soggy again. Do you have any other tips if we're trying to get through lots of residue this spring? Yeah, so spring, spring quite frankly, a lot of times when it comes to getting through some of the residue um, isn't... Uh, a lot isn't typically as problematic as it is in the, in the fall. And what I mean by that is, is, um, and again, it really depends on what, what growers are using for harvesting and so forth. But, but but give you an example, and this will kind of help answer the question. So if a, if a grower is using a, a chopping hat and he's, and he's putting out, uh, I like to call it the confetti of residue and, and you get in some high yield corn, you can have, I mean, I've seen residue with that will come halfway up to your knee, it seems. And um, one simple thing, and it's just, it's it's uh, taking the, the treader wheels, the, the gauge wheels, if you will, off off that roll cleaner hub and running just the straight blade. And like in our case, where, where everything is controlled pneumatically, increasing that air pressure a little bit, and that helps push through that residue and, and get down to that, that soil and get that residue out of the way. Um so I, I've given that tip out a, a few times over the past handful of years, and and the feedback I've got from it is it's with some of these growers that have been struggling with residue, it's it's been a, a huge improvement for for their their machines. 
Yeah, there are so many things that go into uh, making that strip-till pass work as as well as it possibly can. Uh, the folks at Soil Warrior have been so helpful for us and, and also generous with time. Dave, we really appreciate your time today. Thanks for the, for the info. My pleasure. And good luck here heading into the spring. Same to you. Thank you. Have a good day. You bet. You as well. Uh, I had a comment that came in from Brian, and, and he said you guys were talking about breaking down residue. He said, well, what's worked good on my farm? An electric fence and beef cows. They've done a nice job breaking down corn residue for me. Definitely. Abs- absolutely, Brian. That's a, that's a great way. I love if we can run those stocks through an animal, convert them into available fertility. I love that program. That's a good way to go. Uh, We're talking about strip tillage on today's program, but also taking any agronomic questions you may have with spring approaching fast uh, and situations a little different than they've been previous years. You may have some questions. We would love to help. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a -a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit FelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. 
Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. Today our discussion is around strip tillage, but we'll also take any agronomic questions that you have. If you want to give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to Wyoming. Now, I don't know if you thought of Wyoming as being this great place for strip tillage, but uh, I know somebody out there that does a little bit of that. we got our friend Chris on. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Darren. How are you today? Well, not bad. You know, if we're getting 60 degrees here, I'm betting you're getting some decent weather out there, too. It is. It's 65 today, so it, it oh, is wow. warm. And uh, Last week was really the first cold we've had all winter. It's been 40 and 50 degrees almost all winter. Oh, my goodness. We had three nights below zero last week, but that's the only time we've been below zero all winter. And then it's warm again today, so... Yeah, I was teasing my 14-year-old, thought he was going to make lots of money scooping snow for people this weekend, that or this this winter, I should say. It didn't, didn't really play out for him very well where we're at, but but that's okay. I'm okay with that. I, I don't really like scooping it. I, I'd rather uh, have the liquid form come when we need it. Uh, so talk to us about strip till. You're in an area that doesn't get a ton of rain. I know you've got some irrigation out there, but what have you seen with strip tillage? How has that worked for you? So we've had some good luck with that, especially we end up doing it ours in the spring just because of the way the winter here is. We can't, we have a lot of wind, and so the ground wants to blow, and so we kind of wait and try to do that stuff in the spring. But we're able to have, you know, we don't, we got like 12, 12 inches of moisture is our average rainfall, and a lot of that comes, honestly, in March, you know. So we're able to try to get that stuff done early and then hopefully get a little bit of a rain and kind of bring that moisture, the sub-moisture together with, a little bit we're getting on top and if we can get a half inch that makes that seed bed almost perfect that we can plant into and get it up and going and you know here we just don't get a lot of moisture but we get if we can get some timely rains that's really the name of the game that we need to help us get to going and get off to a good start until we can get the irrigation season but um we just have found it's a good way i know that's a term you guys have used in the past of drought proofing it and we can have a good root system and we can almost make it like a rain bucket in the and, you know, store up the moisture that we do get if we have that groundwork ahead of time with the strip till. And so we've had good luck. Let me ask you about cover crops. Are you using cover crops in this particular system or using them in other places on your farm? You know, we, we really don't because it's so cold by the time stuff gets off. We just Nothing's going to get up and growing for us here. And so, you know... Hey, you sound, you sound like There's my brother, guy. Chris. Some guy. You sound like my brother. He <laughs> says the same thing. Man, unless we do silage or small grains, we just don't right. have much of a shot to get decent enough growth on that in the fall. Now, last year, we really did. After our silage, we, we happened to catch some fall rains. We were lucky, but uh, it doesn't always work out that way for us either. Yeah, there is some guys around. We don't do any silage corn, but there is some guys around that do grow some cover crops behind silage and have some decent luck with that. But on the edible bean side, or, um, we, you could maybe plant some, but by the time that's coming off, the water's out of the irrigation system, and so you don't have the ability to use any of your normal irrigation system. So you have to irrigate it up. It isn't going to come up. And so one of those things that's kind of a tricky thing. And You know, the best chance is behind silage in our area. 
Yep. Yep. Okay. Talk to us about those edible beans and, and soybeans even now in, in your farm operation. Uh, do they like the strips better than the corn for us? I think the beans like it even better than the corn, but uh, what, what's been your experience? I 100% agree that beans, pinnable beans on the legume side hate compaction. And so in the past, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we had a Try to incorporate Eptam or Sondland or something like that, but you had a lot of traffic out in the fields and wherever the, you know, the tractor tires were. It was a drier area, and the chemical might not work, and the beans might not come up. And so once we were able to switch to strip till, you know, you have a seed bed that promotes that root to go down, and you can get by with less water, and and they just have an awesome root system, and, and you know, eliminating compaction and a root system that promotes it to go down and find what it can and allows us to. You know, back it up to two. Some of these fields we've had got by with one irrigation, and uh, had a really good crop. But when you have a good root system that it can take advantage of any rain it does get, it just seemed like it's really helped. All right. The only last question that I've got for you, Chris, is if you're doing spring strip till and you're planting spring crops, uh, I'm betting you want to be in the planter. Who's in the strip till machine if you're running the planter, or you the run you running the strip till and someone else doing the planting? I do them both. I'm, so, <laughs> honestly, the goal is to have them done the first week of April is kind of our goal, and then oh. give it a few weeks sure. and then come back later. And we've tried it tight, you know, back-to-back, but in heavy soils, that can make a mess. And uh, so we have just found that back in 20 years ago, even more, we used to have all kinds of sugar beets, and we plowed all that so we could land, plant it, make it smooth, and, and hopefully get the best seabed we could. And so... We kind of learned from that that if we get all of our ground worked early and then get a little bit of moisture, whether it be rain or snow, it just makes it a perfect seed bed. And and uh, even with small amounts of moisture, it doesn't take a lot to just bring the sub-moisture and a little bit on top together. And, and then if we're able to plan into that, it's just about ideal to get it up and going. Absolutely. Well, Chris, good luck to you here. We're getting good weather so far. We'll see. Hopefully catch some moisture here, too. I know you're going to need that as well. Uh, but thanks for being on. Thanks for sharing a little about your farm, and good luck right. to you. All right. Thank you, Darren. We'll see you. You bet. Yeah, a lot of, lot of considerations there to, to make strip till work really well on the farm, no doubt about that. Uh, got a question here, Brian. This is more towards irrigation. Uh, this is from Brad. He said, I, I'm planting corn, and I'm worried about corn roots damaging uh, drain tile that I'm going to use as subsurface irrigation. We've got lighter, sandier soils. And we're in North Dakota. I was thinking about 16 and a half feet spacings and 24 inch, 24 inches deep with my subsurface irrigation slash drain tile system. What would you think about that, or would you be worried about a lot of damage from annual crop roots? Nope, wouldn't be worried about that at all. Annual crop roots don't really hurt tile lines much. Sure, stuff's going to get in there. And is it possible that you're going to hold up a little dirt? Yes, it is. But I just, I wouldn't be super concerned about that. All right. Uh, get some feedback from the Kinsey Seminar. This one's from John. He's up in British Columbia. He said, uh, really appreciate all the, the help and information at the Neil Kinsey Seminar. Uh, really impressed with your staff down there, too, putting on a great event. Sometimes it feels like in agriculture we're getting attacked from all sides. 
Really appreciate you representing and supporting farmers. Hey, thanks, John. Really appreciated seeing you and your brother uh, down at the Kinsey meeting. It's really good to meet you, and, and good luck to you up in British Columbia. Uh, here's one that I don't know that I, I was expecting. This one came in from, from David, and he said, As a non-farmer, I've watched a lot of farm shows off and on and gleaned some insights and context about farm life. Recently, though, Ag PhD has particularly helped me Ag PhD has particularly helped me with my hobby, farm simulator games. I've tried a lot of different ways to learn about farming, but your program has really given me some some knowledge that I can use to do well on my games. Hey, David, well, uh, thanks. Yeah, farming's fun, even if you're doing it on a simulator. I guess it isn't uh, not a bad way to farm, I guess, if you don't have any uh, ground out there to, to farm with. Uh, got uh, this one from... Uh, uh, somebody had said, oh, there's a lot of misinformation out there oh, yeah. uh, and uh, out there for uh, nefarious reasons. It's good to have you guys trying to get the facts out there. You know, I'll say this. Brandon and I are just two people, and it takes all of us to, to fight against some of the misinformation out there. But there are a lot of people that just don't understand what we're doing on the farm. So it's all of our jobs to share what we're doing on the farm and why we're doing it with anybody that we talk to. Uh, I know when I was a kid, I always would get frustrated with both of my grandpas and my dad because they'd always want to talk to people about everything that's going on. And I know uh, my dad, especially uh, with biofuels, man, he just loved to go fuel up because he would just look for somebody at another pump that wasn't using biofuels so he could talk to him about, hey, uh, you might want to consider biofuels and here's why. So he, he just was ready to go with that. Uh, did, well, did a great job. I mean, we have to keep in mind, we are selling a product, whether it's, you know, food or biofuels or whatever it is, while somebody else is trying to sell a competing product. So, I mean, it's just like in any line of sales work that there is, very often the competitor gets bashed a lot of times with untruths. So we have to expect that the oil companies are going to lie about biofuels. We have to expect that people who are selling against us in any way are going to lie about us. That's just what happens, unfortunately, in the sales world. So we need to think of ourselves a little bit as salespeople for the farm. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme herbicide from FMC combines group 14 and group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. 
Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre- and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open here in the Morton studio at 844-442-4743 if you have an agronomic question. Got this one sent in from Jake over in Michigan. And Jake said, I am growing petunias. And we also grow blueberries, sweet corn, uh, and some other crops. I've got white mold in this particular variety of petunias called Night Sky and I've had it for a few years now. Uh, I'm curious what to do. Night Sky grows a very thick canopy, mainly because of the PGRs to stack the foliage to help mound the plant and not let it get too wide, which makes sense to me why white mold would thrive on them. We're always spraying and drenching, and we use a lot of the fungicides and active ingredients that you guys are using in crop production. Uh, things uh, like boscolid, which would be the active ingredient in Endura, and fluopyram, which would be the SDHI from Delaro Complete, uh, and, and other fungicides. Uh, just curious, how would you manage this? It's roughly a nine-week crop, and our planting dates stretch out over about six weeks, starting late February, ending in mid-April. Uh, how long do fungicides last? Is a fungicide approach the best way to go, or is there something else we could do to fight these things or fight this white mold? Okay. So first of all, fungicides will last two to three weeks. That's basically it. With white mold in soybeans, for example, or dry beans or sunflowers, we talk about this as perhaps the most devastating disease that those crops can get. We've seen soybeans on our farm go from 90 bushels to zero. So it's that bad. One of the things that we have talked about is having good manganese levels in the soil. And so I'd be really interested in what the soil fertility is for these flowers. And is it balanced or is it not? That could be one of the things that could help. Now, there is a fungus that will eat the sclerotia. So 
that's a product called Contans, and that is something that could be used in advance of seeding uh, or uh, of seeding these flowers. So if you wanted to do that, you certainly could. Um, on top of that, you know, uh, the fungicide use and I, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't really know what to say because I'm no expert in flower production or anything, but I just know those are the most common things that we will do in soybeans. I can run through the list with you real quick here on what we often will talk about in terms of, hey, follow these, whatever it is, 10 steps or so. Uh, so we look at the, at balancing that soil. We look at using contents. In addition to that, we talk about planting tolerant varieties, which obviously that variety isn't super tolerant, apparently. We talk about wider row spacing and lower planting population. Neither of those you're going to be able to do. Heads up as a seed treatment. I don't know if that could be used, but it's basically something that comes out of ragweed, and it allows... It does, I'm not going to say it's great, but it definitely can help. And so that might be something you could look at heads up. Um, otherwise, we use herbicides to either shorten the plant or, like in the case of cobra, get some activity on that white mold in the plant, and then beyond that, it's fungicides. So I don't know what to say beyond kind of what I've gone through, but understand those fungicides don't last long, and with the environment that you've got, with the drenching, with the high humidity, the fast growth, you have just tremendous risk there. So I understand that. And you're going to use multiple modes of You're going to want to use multiple modes of action over a period of time. So yeah, T-methyl, Endura, those are good ones. In addition to that, what we will typically talk about in soybeans is using uh, Domark. That's a triazole because you don't have a triazole there at all. Or Proline is even better. So that would be something that I would at least be taking a look at is maybe getting some of the triazoles in because from what it sounded like, you're trying some strabilurin products. None of those are real great. Whereas the SDHIs like Endura, Flupyram, they have more activity. T-methyl, another active ingredient, Topsin, good activity. But try one of the triazoles as well like Proline if that's labeled. All right. Thanks for the question. Good luck to you. I get this one in from Eric down in Texas. He said, I was uh, listening to uh, a previous Farmer Friday show and was intrigued by your use of soil sterilants in fence lines and around buildings to limit the trimming. Just wondering, have you ever tried plant growth regulators to keep the grass short? The yep. golf courses use them a lot to reduce mowing and save on labor labor costs. Just wondering if you've ever given that a try. They basically yep. do the opposite of rise up smart grass that increases production. These inhibit gibberellin synthesis and slow down plant growth by limiting cell elongation. Yep. And they do. And we've tried that. So back even when Darren and I were kids and we were mowing constantly, we've got fairly big farm and everything. And it, it was just constant mowing. And so our dad came to us and I'm trying to remember, Darren, maybe you remember the name of the product. Yeah, um, yeah, I do. I don't know if I, I can. I remember it because yeah. he was over in Germany visiting BASF, yep. and he I, came back I, with. Uh, I just don't oh. know if I can remember the name of the product. I'll, but anyway. I'll think about it as soon as the show's yeah. over today. So the the whole thing, the whole point is, yes, we use that. Did we have some activity and reduce the growth? Yes, but it didn't take very long, and the grass looks scraggly, and so we're like, well, we can't have it looking like that. We need to even it out, mow it up. As soon as we mowed it, bam, about the next day, the gra the growth started almost like normal again. So I just, I didn't really love it. 
and it was work to go spray. And it basically saved us maybe one or two times mowing. Well, I'm so betting, it was almost I'm betting as much there work. Are, I'm betting there are better products. And Escort. Maybe, Escort. And maybe more, uh, I don't know if that was it, but I'm, but maybe but maybe there are better ones out there right now, Eric. So, yeah, I would assume if golf courses are using them, they probably got it down to a science now. So, nope, haven't tried that in the fence lines. Um, it's cheap, easy, and effective to do a ground sterile, but then, of course, you get – uh, weeds that come through and potentially could just have black dirt underneath a, a fence line, which isn't a great thing either. So might be something to take a look at. Uh, I got this one in from Guy, and he said, when I watch your show, I often see really wide spray rigs operating in irregular shaped fields with obstructions like utility poles. Just wondering, how do operators spray without voids and overlaps, uh, or does that matter? Well, thanks, Guy. Actually, it really does matter. We don't want to have big overlaps, and we certainly don't want to have areas that don't get sprayed, especially in terms of weed control. So you have uh, a big area that that you have weeds out in the field. Uh, so there are there are spray controls now uh, where you can use GPS, and uh, it can automatically shut off spray boom sections, so you don't have overlap or. Uh, those types of things. So, yeah, there's a lot of newer technology that's made this job a lot easier. But you're right. Back in the day when when we were kids, uh, man, that was a was a big thing in those odd shaped fields not to overlap. And the same thing with the planter. So you would double plant in some of those areas. That wasn't good either. It cost money and you ended up with worse yield and more problems. So. I was busy looking at uh, at Escort online. It's a herbicide now. I just it no, seems like it. that was the that's name forty years ago. No, it it wasn't that. Right. It was, okay, it was something similar though. Yeah. All right. Uh, I get this question in from Raquel, and she said this may be a silly question, but I'm wondering with fertilizer, is it only applied in the soil at planting or pre-plant, or after emerge? Do crops just receive foliar nutrition, or could you be putting on fertilizer and irrigating at the same time? Uh, yes, you can put fertilizer on basically at any time of the year if you would like to. Some nutrients don't go in super well through the leaves, like phosphorus, for example. So that really probably needs to be a soil treatment. But nitrogen, sulfur, boron, the leachable nutrients, those are the ones we talk most about putting on later in the season, just so you don't have to worry as much about loss. You put on a little bit at a time so the crop can use it up before it gets away on you. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, got this one from IK uh, talking about uh, the Chicago Board of Trade. You mentioned forward contracts and you don't like them because if a hailstorm wipes out your crops, you can't deliver on the contract. However, if you're short hedging with futures contracts on the CBT, they require a margin account. Just curious, uh, are most farmers scared about these margin accounts? Do most bankers work Definitely with farmers afraid. on it? And how yep. big would a typical margin account be? Well, the margin account is basically how far off it gets. So I'll just give you the example of this year. If soybeans were down at $10 and then all of a sudden they go to 17, well, let's say you had 100,000 bushels sold and you're $7 off, that's $700,000 in your margin account. And, you know, that's not for, uh, well, anyway, it's just the point is it can be a lot of money fairly quickly if you have a good size farm. So, yeah, a lot of people are really worried about that, but nevertheless, it's something we use and a lot of people use. It's a great tool. Yep, it certainly is a tool to use. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. And thanks for listening today. 
Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.